Next, on the OHIO podcast, we give our initial reactions to the introductory interviews of our new assistant coaches, we predict the offensive depth chart for spring ball, and what in the world is happening in Ann Arbor. And that all starts right now. It's so easy to be average. You know it as well as I know it. It takes a little something to be special, Don. It takes a little something special to be a great player. We don't have enough great players. To hell with that! We don't want to coach average. I don't want to be around you. Why be around average? Proud of our young people in the classroom, in the community, and most especially in 310 days in Ann Arbor, Michigan, on the football field. Three things. Number one, the team that hits the hardest and the longest, the team that starts the fastest, and the team is too damn smart to make mistakes. If you take it to them, if you don't make mistakes, and you keep taking it to them, hell, there's no question who wins. Buckeye Podcast, by fans, for the fans, where they hate that team up north as much as you do. It's time for the OHIO Podcast. OHIO! Welcome back to the OHIO Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Buckeye Boggs, recording live from a beautiful, sunny, yet still cold and snow-filled north-central Ohio. We've been digging out of the snowpocalypse that attacked us. I guess it was Thursday night into Friday. Chris? Wilds, the wild man from a little bit north than me. I think you guys got about, what, eight, nine inches? Uh, ten. Ten? Still digging out of that, my man? Uh, a little bit. I was out there shoveling this morning, you know, out there in my uh, orange shorts and my Baker Mayfield t-shirt out there shoveling the snow. Oh, it wasn't a Bengals, was it? <laughs> I would sooner put on a Michigan jersey. Oh! Oh, oh wow. Man, the hate is real. Woo! That's deep. How much uh, snow did you get down there in Texas, Aaron? Uh, Really not a lot of snow. It was mostly ice. Like we got it just it melted and then it froze again overnight and then it was just real thick ice. So they actually shut the base down for two days. So I got two days off of work. So it wasn't too bad. Yeah. (laughs) I knew. I I saw the weather report where you guys actually got some winter weather. And I was like, man, Aaron's Aaron's like, dude, this is nothing for me. I'm from Ohio. But I imagine yeah. some of them boys were like, what is happening? Well, they don't know how to drive in that stuff. And Texas isn't prepared for snow. So it's, you know, it's like in Ohio, you know, they they'll put down salt or calcium or whatever type of whatever to keep it from freezing over or, you know, at least make the roads drivable. They they can't do that down here. They they put literal pebbles and some sand on the road, but that really doesn't do anything. You know, bust I mean? out the kitty litter. Yeah, yeah, that's well. We can't do that either because we we use that to clean up oil spills. So, works <laughs> wonders, by the way. If you're not satisfied with pickup games and unranked matches, chances are you're aiming higher than most. Aspire, you're trained to be the best. 
Whether you're drawn to the pool, track, map, basketball, court, or gaming controller, we provide the training you need to achieve your dream. Make our facilities your home or take advantage of free transportation services. Are you ready to unlock your potential? Visit SpireCleveland.com today. We've got a huge show for you today, guys. Lots of stuff this week. The Woody Hayes Athletic Center was buzzing this week, beginning on Monday when Ryan Day took to the podium to give his uh, State of the Union address, I guess, of Ohio State and talk about the coaching changes and whatnot. And then later in that day, we had the opportunity to uh, listen and watch as the four new assistant coaches were introduced. And then a couple days later, uh, some of the freshmen were being interviewed there in Woody Hayes Athletic Center as well. So we're going to start off the show by responding to the interviews that we got to watch and listen to on Monday from the four assistant head coaches. What I'm going to do, guys, is I'm going to give you guys a name. And I want you to give me a, a rating of 1 to 10, 1 being you were not impressed at all. It was the worst first impression you've ever seen in coaching history. 10 being it was the most impressive first impression you've ever gotten from an assistant coach. Grade them 1 through 10 and then tell me why and what it was about that introductory press conference from that assistant coach as to why you gave them that score. Let's start from the top man himself. He's basically, Ryan Day called him the head coach of the defense, Jim Knowles. His introductory press conference. I'll start with you first, Aaron. What what uh, grade would you give him, one through ten, on how he did in first impressions and why? I mean, I went with a ten. Uh, and Honestly, I was very impressed by all of them. But I'm giving Jim Knowles a 10, and the reason is, is everything he said, I, I, I feel like that's what needed to be said. We'll see what happens when rubber meets the road, but you know, he, he flat out said he knows he doesn't have four years to get this put together like he did at Oklahoma State. He knows he needs rapid results, and he has a system of how to teach and respond to certain situations. He acknowledged that things are going to break down. And that's obviously that's going to happen. Nobody's perfect. There is no defense that I've ever seen that's just absolutely perfect that never got scored on throughout the course of a year. So the fact that he knows that and he has to instill this knowledge into these players throughout the spring and summer months, I, I really like that. And another thing that I, I, I especially like because it, it reminded me of the military as far as discipline goes, um, accountability. He is big on accountability from player to player. He's big on that. He knows that if one player uh, isn't accountable for his his knowledge and his responsibilities on the field, he has now let down a different position group. So the linebackers have a set of responsibilities. If they drop the ball, that puts the DBs on notice. That you know what I mean. That that puts extra stress on the secondary, and this has to be one big cohesive unit and he knows that and he knows and has a system on how to put that together well said chris one through ten jim knowles give it to me yeah i went with a 10 as well uh in addition to what aaron said i, I love the fact that you know you can just tell he's got great intensity he came out and said he's got great intensity and to the point where you know he's kind of he and he mentioned uh tanner McAllister. And that he's going to be a coach on the field because he's going to be that bridge that can kind of help the the players relate to uh, Knowles because he's worked with them before and he knows how he is. Uh, the other thing that I want to say, and I thought that, 
it was really glaring in all the defensive coaches who talked. And it's something we talked about last year. Do you think there was just a major, major culture issue on that defense? Yeah. Because they all addressed relationships and culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we saw it break down. I mean, we obviously saw it break down at one point during a game when a linebacker walks off the field. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so I think that I really love the fact that these defensive coaches are coming in fired up, and they're all on the same page, I think, with that. Do you guys both agree that Jim Knowles comes across as being like an old school coach? Oh, yeah. He looks like he grabbed you by the face mask and whacked you upside the head. I know. I love it. Like, this guy feels to me like he could have coached back in Woody Hayes' time, but he also has a very respectable – like, his players love him. Like, you you man for man, those uh, Oklahoma State defensive players love this guy. So I think he understands how to relate to this generation. Um, he was asked about his uh, method of, like, playing, like uh, – um, like old school type of um, trivia games and things as a part of the training to get these guys to be able to think quickly and react. And, and uh, he kind of smiled on his face. Like I think behind closed doors, he's a cool guy with to, to play for. But I also think like, like you said, Aaron, there's a military aspect of accountability here that came across very well in his interview. I give him an eight. I think, I think there's a little bit of a wait and see here for me. Um, so, so let, let me say though, that, that by me giving him an eight is not a, me saying that like, he's not going to be a home run higher. I think that's definitely a possibility. I just can't, I, I, I don't know if it's just how he interacts with the media, maybe, but he came across as kind of being like a get off my lawn type of guy. Did you catch that, Aaron? I mean, I, I didn't feel like it was a get off my lawn. I, it just he didn't seem comfortable, but honestly, not many of them did. I think Tim Walton is about the only one that was like, yes, there's a microphone in front of my face. You know, I, I, I think that some of the questions that they were being asked uh, personnel wise were a little uncomfortable because they're so new that they don't know everybody yet. Right, and when you're right. put on, when you're, when you're put on the spot like that, it's, it is uncomfortable and a little unnerving because you want to say all the right things and be like, yes, I know everything about all my guys and, and all this stuff. And they can't do that. So I, I guess I can see where maybe it came off that way to you. But to me, understanding that I feel like that he didn't, I don't know. He didn't seem that upset or get off my lawn type to me yeah well i mean let's go back to like jeff halfley this was the first time in an introductory press conference that we we didn't really know the guy like jeff halfley we really didn't know i thought that was a home run like you could tell within the first five minutes of his introductory press conference that jeff halfley was special i didn't quite grasp that from jim knowles but at the same time i got this i got this like this almost kind of like an old uh, kind of like I guess you could call him kind of like a splinter from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, <laughs> he's like this old he's this, he's like this old like uh, know it like a uh, master here, you know, like a master of defense. And it's I don't know, like I just felt like his age kind of came across a little bit. And that might be exactly what these guys need because you know you think about our last defensive coordinator that we had everybody loved him 
I loved him. We all loved him, but it didn't work. Well, consider this, too. Jim Knowles used to be the head coach at Cornell, so he has head coaching experience. And Cornell's not exactly a dumb college, my man. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. So you're talking about years and years and years of experience, and he's he's a coordinator, which is fine, and and especially in his eyes because he flat out said – he thinks that his experience as a head coach at Cornell helped him to be a better assistant coach Agreed. at this level. So you got to think about that too. You know, there's a lot, there's a, a wealth of knowledge coming from, even though it is a lower level, that is an intelligent institution and it's still football at a high level. No matter what people say about the Ivy League, that's still high level football. And he's coming to Columbus. Agreed. This is well, he's going to have more of a big picture approach yes. having been a head coach. Exactly. I also think he's going to have his fingerprints all over the linebacker. I, he, the, the linebacker room is his. Oh, yeah. There's no other like like Al Wash, like he replaced Al Washington and the defensive coordinator. So like he's he's the man like Kerry Combs. He, he took Kerry Combs job as defensive coordinator and Al Washington's job as linebackers coach. And I think he wanted it. Oh, yeah, he, a, he had he had every opportunity to hire a linebackers coach and then hire one secondary coach, and he was like, "No, I'll take the linebackers." They're well, wrong. this is yeah, this is his system, and this is how he wants it ran. He's got it down pat. You know, they they I think one of the uh, reporters I think they asked him or or mentioned his reputation for coming in and fixing defenses with his style of doing it, and this is his style. So this is not new to him. It's not unknown. This is what he wanted, and he got it. Chris, you're up next. We're going to go to the secondary, and we're going to go with the man who liked the microphone, as Aaron said, Tim Walton, the ex-Buckeyes, coming back to coach the cornerbacks from the NFL, 1 through 10. What are you going to give him? Uh, You know what? I'm going to go with a solid 9 with this guy. I really liked him. Like Aaron said, uh, he did seem comfortable, but you know what? He's been there before. He's been a part of this program before. He's got an experience level with – the program, but also with our media in the, in the Columbus area. So sure. He's going to feel a little more comfortable. Uh, you know, another guy who was really big on building relationships. Uh, I think he's going to be very, uh, very relatable to these young guys. Uh, also he's got that background in the NFL. So they know that he can get them to where he, they want to go. Uh, for me, I think this was a big hire. I think both the, the defensive back coaches were big hires, but I love bringing Walton back into the program. Aaron, go for it. Yeah, I, I got to agree. I got I I would give all of them a 10, but uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's realistic necessarily. But I think that a solid nine is definitely good for Tim Walton. Um, I like the things that he had to say. It was if, if I was a recruit or a current player, it's what I would want to hear. He said that he wants to coach technique that allows for long NFL tenure. That's a, and it's, and like I said, that's a great recruiting pitch and uh, a coaching philosophy because you come to the highest level, you come to Ohio state, you go to Alabama, wherever that's, that's the level of coaching that you want to receive. 
Uh, and, and like Chris said, he's excited to be back at OSU, and you could hear it in his voice. You know what I mean? Yeah. He really enjoyed it. He understands the relationships between recruiting, between the guys that he has in his room, between the other coaches. Um, this, I feel like, is going to be a good uh, marriage between uh, Coach Walton and Ohio State. He's comfortable in the area with recruiting. He knows what's going on. He also, like Knowles, knows that he needs results right now. And you also have to consider the fact that he has experience uh, coaching Jalen Ramsey. And I'm not trying to stake his whole 10-year NFL career on coaching Jalen Ramsey, okay? But he's probably the most notable DB that he has coached. Now, if you guys know anything about Jalen Ramsey, he plays with attitude. He is aggressive, and he is good at his craft, okay? That's what we have been lacking in Columbus Probably since Jeff Halfley, and I understand that that's not necessarily that long ago, but it's very obvious that we've been missing that because look how bad the defensive backs have been since he's been gone. Well, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. It doesn't hurt that he's got Denzel Burke to start off with either. That's a fact. <laughs> go ahead, Chris. Well, no, I, and the other thing is. I think he's going to be great for the these young players' attitudes. You mentioned Jalen Ramsey. As great as he is, he can be a bit of a head case at times, too. And he was able to manage that and keep it under control somewhat. Yeah. So I think that's going to be huge when you're dealing with these young guys who sometimes can come in with a bit of a, you know, a prima donna attitude. You can tell that Tim Walton has spent some time in the NFL. You could yes. tell um, that was evident, which I, I think there's always good to have a little bit of a mix between college guys. And if you can bring someone back from the NFL to mix in with your staff, I think that's always good for not only recruiting, but also for professionalism. Um, there was a there is a higher level of professionalism with him when he speaks than the other guys. And I think it's just because he's used to the NFL. Um I think his adjustment period is going to is going to come in the first year in in recruiting. I have no qualms about him being a, uh, a uh, an assistant coach as far as teaching his position and taking control of his room. Where I where I give him an eight is I felt like there was some. Um, uh, it's been a while since I've been recruiting, and it's it's going to take me a while to get my feet wet, type of thing. He talked about building relationships, and really that's what recruiting is about. We all understand that. But um, let's see how he does in recruiting. Let's give it a couple years, see who he can get in the 2023-2024 classes. Um, but I'm going to give him an 8, and, I, and I'll tell you the other reason why I want to give him an 8 and not a lower grade is this guy is going to be able to preach the gospel of Ohio State to these recruits and these players because he lived it as a player. In, and then he and then as a player in the NFL and then as a coach and he's coming back saying this this is my home when you have a guy who was in the NFL saying I want to be here because it's my home that sells guys that sells to these kids so that was big time for me I'll give him an eight let's keep it in the defensive <laughs> backfield shall we God bless you Bobby <laughs> um, there was actually John oh was it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, my computer froze on me. All right. Help me out, guys. The other defensive coach, uh, Eliano. Eliano. Yes, thank you. Uh, Aaron, I'll let you go first, man. What uh, what grade do you give him 1 through 10 on his introductory press conference? I felt like he was also a 9. 
and he was amped about being here as well. You know, uh, very impressed overall. And I and I was very impressed overall with him. Um, kind of like Tim Walton, he was also pretty comfortable, I'll say. But along the lines of what you were saying, Eric. I think there may be a gap a little bit in recruiting because, yes, he did a great job at Cincinnati coaching, but some of those players transferred in and some of them probably may not see the field at Ohio State. So he tended to lean a little bit on the fact that he has a block O on his chest when he walks into these high schools. So um, I'm not saying he doesn't understand relationships. I think he does, but I think that his coaching is what – or his coaching reputation is what's going to carry him through these recruiting pitches because he has done such a good job. Cincinnati has been on the brink the last uh, since he was there. So I think what, two years, two, three years. So that, that secondary played very well. Um, he also spoke about quality education. So he wasn't just about the sport. He's also going to pitch the fact that Ohio state does have good academics and they do. Are they Harvard? No, but Let's not sit here and say that they're, uh, I don't know, like Indiana or something. You know what I mean? They're not that Indiana's bad. I'm not saying that, guys. But he's, he preached about quality education. I like that. That's a good pitch. Uh, sounds like from what he said, he's going to use all of the players um, in, in with their strengths. So I can see actually a lot of uh, not turnover necessarily, but – um, the way that we substitute the, the defensive line, the rotation that you see on different uh, situations, well, in the past, I could see that being a thing in the secondary now with the safeties, because I think they asked him, like, what what body sizes, what, uh, you know, what what traits do you want in your secondary at safety? And he was saying that basically uh, if they're six, four and they can get to a zone then they'll use it for a certain package. If uh, somebody's six foot, but they hit, maybe they bring them down some, you know, things like that. And I I like the idea that he's using all of his players to their strengths. Does that preach of overall uh, development? Not necessarily, but I'm not going to sit here and say that he's not going to do that because that would be the wrong thing to say. I think that he's going to develop these guys. But in the beginning, I think that we're going to see uh, I think he used the word multiplicity. So with that, you know, you're, you're talking about how these guys have different body shapes, sizes, traits, attributes, whatever. He's going to use those strengths. And I personally like the idea of that to begin his tenure. Chris, what you got for me grade here? One through ten. Uh, you know what? I, I went with an eight on uh, Eliano. Uh, I thought that he, again, I, I don't know where he's going to go with the recruiting. He did lean a lot on that block, though, but I will say this. He did just come off of a Jim Thorpe Award, award winner. Mm-hmm. He has, he did help carry Cincinnati, a group of five school, into the playoff. He did have them in a major bowl game the last two years playing against, you know, Georgia and Alabama this year. I mean, this guy, I think that that pedigree buys him a little bit of leeway these first couple of years, but he's going to have to go out and show it. Uh, I think he does understand the relationship process, but like Aaron, I'm a little concerned if he's going to have it at this same level, uh, given the difference in the caliber of recruits he was getting. 
All right. So my thoughts here on uh, Ohio State's new safeties coach, Perry Eliano. Sorry, I my computer froze and then my brain froze there for a minute. Um, I'm going to give him a seven. I think this out of all the coaches we hired, this one scares me the most and maybe not so much on the recruiting. Um, I feel like, yeah, okay, I hope I'm going to be proven wrong, but I believe he was riding the coattails of Luke Fickle. I think Luke Fickle is a phenomenal defensive coach. And I'm not saying that Eliano didn't have some of his fingertips on what Cincinnati did defensively, but sometimes I think you as a, as a, as a coach – your group can maybe look better than what it really is because the rest of the defense is doing its job too. Does that make sense, Aaron? Am I saying that right? Yeah, it like, makes sense, but I, I mean, mean, consider that they shut down a lot of Alabama's wide receivers too. Like Alabama did a pretty good job running on them, but they didn't pass the best. So, I mean, I got to give credit to him on that end of right. things. All right, Chris, go ahead and make an argument against me. That's fine. I can hear it coming. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't. I don't completely disagree with you, Eric. Because I mean, if you look at it, if you got a defensive line that's getting tremendous pressure, it's going to make life easier on the defensive right. backs. True. Yep. Uh, you know, but at the same time, I'm going to side with Aaron here on this one. They did a great job of shutting down a very potent Alabama receiving core. Uh, you know, like he said, Alabama ran on them very well, but you know, they, they shut down a very good receiving core, you know, quite a few times during that that game. So I think he does definitely have something to do with that. Out of all the defensive units on our team right now, guys, I my concern is the safeties, Aaron. They are. I mean, you got health. You got health with Josh Proctor and Lathan Ransom that I'm worried about. You got guys like Marcus Hooker who – was I again? I don't even know if he's on How the team anymore. How can you be worried with Bryson Shaw back there? And Bryson, <laughs> Bryson Shaw is a go-to man. Um, I'm just saying, like I, I, I think the bullet's good. The bullet's good. Ronnie Hickman, Court Williams, Sonny Styles. Like I, if if we learn that Sonny Styles has been moved to free safety, I would feel so much better. Well, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. It's all year long. Safeties were a concern. As soon as Josh Proctor went down. I was like, crap. You know what I mean? I saw Bryce and Shaw in there just peeing his pants week in and week out, not in the wrong spot, 50 yards behind a play. Just uh, you, well, we you determined, guys. We determined last week it was 20 yards. <laughs> well, whatever the case, 150. He's on the sideline. He forgot his helmet. Whatever. That's you know what I mean? That's you guys know how I feel about Bryce and Shaw. It's no disrespect, but that's just that's how it was. That's that's the facts of the case. Um, but I'm with you. I, I, I think that he can get it turned around. Is it his fault that they're not healthy or, or can't, you know what I mean? No, No, but he's going to do what he can to develop what he has. And he, he hasn't had a chance to get his guys in there, but he's going to do a good job with Josh Proctor once he's healthy, Lathan Ransom once he's healthy. And with a little bit of divine intervention, Bryson Shaw, (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm, at least I hope. Um, I'm not saying that kid's a lost cause because he's not. He did make a few good plays, but uh, I, he just this level of coaching, I think that he's going to benefit from. 
Okay, um, <laughs> there's our three defensive guys. Let's talk about the one offensive coach that was hired. Uh, taking over for Coach Stud, Justin Fry. Aaron, I'll let you go first here, one through ten. What was your first impression of our new offensive line coach? I'll be honest. I, I'm i going with a seven or an eight, okay? And I say that because he came off a little bit complacent to me. And it could be me not mistaking him for, you know, confidence. I'm, I'm sure that he is very confident, as they all should be. But he just came off a little bit complacent when he said, uh, and this is not a direct quote, of course, but he said something along the lines of, He's not here to fix or change anything, but basically to uh, improve what they're doing, which is fine because there's not a lot of tweaks you can do to improve the best offense in the country statistically. Okay, Um, how they do things. Yes. But here's what got me. He was saying about the marriage between like the passing game coordinator, running game coordinator, offensive coordinator and his job that this is going to be. Uh, basically an easy thing to do. And I disagree with that. This is not easy. If it is easy, you're probably missing some fine details, you know? So to me, that may not have been the right thing to say in the moment. Um, but it came off a little bit complacent to me. Um, other things that he said though, I, I, I liked like the fact that he said he didn't get hired to come in and fix or change anything. I agree with that. Um, but you know, looking at film la- all of last season, how do you fix those little things? Like when we struggle to run against like Utah or, or Oregon or whatever, you know, what are the little things? And I, I have confidence that he can he can make those adjustments because I think one of the reporters actually said uh, a lot of coaches look at what UCLA did last season as kind of like, here's how you run the football. And the fact they're bringing him in, I like that. Uh, I thought the interview overall was pretty good. It was just that one little thing that I was like, uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Chris, go for it. Yeah, and I think he just had he, he's had a little bit uh, too much time in that California sun. I think is what it is. That could be. Because I'll tell you, that was it. He had a very, I thought, laissez laid back attitude about it. Uh, but you know what? I really liked what he had to say in a lot of ways. He he doesn't have to come in and revamp it. He knows he's close. He knows this line is close. Uh, you know, but I, I did get that same sense of, you know, you called it complacency. I might call it a little bit of arrogance uh, that he's already got a great, you know, great team in place. Uh, and there are definitely some things that are going to need to be addressed. We got to run that football. And I think he could get them there. I just don't think that he necessarily projected himself in that manner. Uh, you know, I think he's I think he's going to be a great coach. I think he's going to be a great for the offensive line. I think our run game will improve. But maybe it's the fact that he's got a comfort level with Ryan Day. Maybe it's that this team is just so good that he thinks it is going to be easy. But man, you can't, you can't come in with that attitude that it's going to be easy. So I'm giving him a seven as well. All right, I think you guys are wrong. I think you read it completely wrong. I gave him a ten. I love the interview. I think this is a home run hire. I think this guy is extremely confident, borderline cocky, and that's okay with me. 
because I think this guy, this is Ryan Day's handpicked guy. This is one of those guys Ryan Day has coached with before, just like Jeff Halfley, where he knows if I ever get the chance to get this guy, I'm going to do it because he and I are going to be clicking on the same page, which is exactly what this run offense needs. I love the quote about him saying when you're uh, rush blocking, you need to make sure that they feel you. Um, there's an intensity about this guy that maybe didn't come across in the interview on you to you guys, but I've, I saw it. Um, and the quote that you're talking about, Aaron, he says, statistically, what the offense has done here is pretty damn good. I don't need to come in and revamp or change a bunch of things. I'm here to enhance and make those things better. That was his direct quote. I like the guy a lot. And in fact, I like him so much, I already believe he's the first one that's going to get picked off this uh, off of these four guys who came here to be a head coach. And I'll tell you exactly where he's going. Indiana's next head coach right here. Hmm. Wouldn't that surprise me? He played at Indiana. Exactly. That's his yeah. alma mater. I can see and it. And he's Midwest. He, the dude is Midwest nice. But he's also, I think he is a a, a brilliant mind that's going to work well with Ryan Day. I got I gave him a 10. So I read I read his interview completely different than you guys. I didn't know what to expect from him and I got I was most impressed with him. So there you go. So hey guys, it's all right that we don't always have the same opinion. That's what makes the show a little spicy. Um I like that. So that is that guys. Very interesting. Be very very interesting I think to see where this thing goes moving forward. All right, we did the defensive depth chart last week. We're going to do the offensive depth chart now, <clears throat> and we're going to start with the obvious. Here we go. Quarterbacks heading into the spring, and again, these are first, second, and third string predictions on who's going to get the reps come the first practice of spring ball. This one's obvious. C.J. Stroud is your starter. Kyle McCord is second string. The true freshman, Devin Brown, is third string. You both agree, Yes. Yes. I think it starts out that way. You know, McCord didn't show a lot of times last year when he had the opportunity. You think Devin Brown I, could get that? I think he could climb up there into second place uh, if McCord doesn't come out and really show this year. If here, uh, well, here's your, here's the way the world turns in college football. Coming out of spring, if Devin Brown outshines McCord, you best believe that McCord's probably going to hit the transfer portal. Yeah, I agreed. Yeah. Running back again, I think this one third string. There might be some debate here, but running back Travion Henderson's your starter. Mayan Williams is one a, in my opinion, he's your second string, but going to get plenty of carries if he's healthy. I think third string is the redshirt freshman Evan Pryor. Some might say Marcus Crowley should get that spot, but that depends a lot on his health. In my opinion, Marcus Crowley has been banged up a lot. Evan Pryor, showed last year as a true freshman he could des- he deserves some of those carries especially late in the game he's got the burst henderson one williams two prior third chris do you agree i agree i love it i think this is going to be a year we're going to see a lot more out of prior i think especially in the uh receiving game aaron yeah hard to debate that uh mayan williams always does a nice job 
coming in for Travion Henderson. Yep. Uh, we saw a little bit of Evan Pryor, and unfortunately Marcus Crowley's just ouchy most of the time. But, uh, yeah, it's hard to debate any of this. All right, let's move to the slot. Here we go. Jackson Smith and the Jigba's one, and we all know it. Only thing here, would, would he, they possibly move him to the X or Z? Given what we saw in the Rose Bowl, I do not believe they will. I, I think they leave him at the Y in the slot. And then I've got Keon Grays, the f- true freshman in second string. Caleb Brown, again, a true freshman at third string. But that's really just throwing darts in the dark here with the freshman. I don't really know. But the obvious answer here is JSN is first string. Aaron, any qualms with that? No, no, especially with what you said about the freshmen. It's you just you don't know until they get here and reports start coming out. So but, yeah, it's an undeniable JSN starting. Chris. Yeah, I'm on board with you guys there. Let's move to the X on the outside. I think he made his presence felt in the Rose Bowl. He's going to be starting this year as a, as a sophomore, Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he's followed by his fellow classmate from Northeast Ohio, Jaden Ballard, who will be a redshirt freshman. And then the freshman Caleb Burton I have as third string fighting with uh, fifth-year or sixth-year senior Cameron Babb if he can be healthy. I think Babb gets a flyer late in games because his of his uh, loyalty to the program. But I got Harrison one, Ballard two, Burton and Babb three. Chris? Yeah, I think Harrison locked down that number one with the Rose Bowl performance. Uh, I think you've probably got it right there. You know, we could see Caleb Burton come in and push, you know, push for that second spot. But I think right now it's Ballard's spot to lose. Mr. Brown, do you agree? Yep. Yep. Can't disagree. I like what Chris said, too. Uh, we haven't really seen anything out of Jaden Ballard. Uh, so maybe the fresh blood comes in there. And, and you know, kind of to your point with what we said behind JSN, you might see Keon Gray's out there. You might see Caleb Brown in there, too, at second string. Hard to see right? or hard to tell at this point in time. Here's the debatable one at the Z. I went ahead and put Emeka Egbuka, the sophomore, as the number one, and Jalen, or excuse me, Julian Fleming as the second string as a junior. But you could twist my arm and tell me that they give Julian Julian Fleming the first crack at this over Egbuka. But I I've been a little bit more impressed with Egbuka especially when it comes to special teams work than I have been with Julian Fleming. And then third string, I got the true freshman Kojo Antwi. So again, first string, I got Egbuka, second string Fleming, third string Antwi. Aaron, you agree or disagree here? This one could be debatable. So on a personal level, this is what I would like to see is exactly what you have. But what we've seen on the field We've seen a lot more Julian Fleming at receiver than we have Igbuka, and I don't know why, because Julian Fleming, you know, as good as his recruiting was out of high school, I haven't seen it. You know what I mean? They put him in at special teams. He crapped his pants. He doesn't really do that well when he's playing receiver. So personally, I'm with you, Eric. I want to see Igbuka get the first crack, and I feel like he deserves it because he performs. But what I think is going to happen is you'll probably see Julian Fleming getting the first reps in spring, but I think Igbuka is going to take those from him. Uh, Chris, you agree or disagree? What do you think? 
Well, first of all, I think we need to talk about Aaron's fascination with people having bowel movements and wetting themselves on the field. But yes, I do. <laughs> I do think that Agbuka uh, is probably uh, going to get that start. But I'll tell you this: if uh, Julian Fleming does not get the the first team reps to start, I don't look for him to be the second guy because I really look for him to transfer. Hmm. Okay. That's definitely a. I mean, especially if you look at what happened with J- uh, with Williamson last year. Yeah, I think that that's definitely something that Ryan Day and Brian Hartline are tiptoeing around with Julian Fleming. I agree. So there very well could be a three-man rotation between Harrison, Egbuka, and Fleming. I could see that. <clears throat> see, I my thing is, like, I'd be okay if Julian Fleming left. Because it's, it's not like Jamison Williams. Like, with Jamison Williams, I saw a lot of potential I don't see that with Julian Fleming right now. He never stepped in and did anything near what Marvin Harrison did. Marvin Harrison really hadn't played most of the year. He steps into the Rose Bowl like he was like he's never missed a down. I know. Julian Julian Fleming has had so many opportunities and never does anything with them. I could see them letting him go because look at what's behind him. Give those guys a crack because if Fleming's not going to do the job, somebody else will. You know, uh, Jamison Williams, I I felt like that kind of sucked because for me, I likened him to Ted Ginn. He just needed to get his hands together, but he has the speed and you saw it at Alabama. Yeah, I I mean, I hear what you're saying, but also I want to defend Julian Fleming for a quick second. The dude has had a ton of injuries in his first two seasons, and that definitely can prohibit one from reaching maximum potential. Um, hopefully he has a very healthy winter and spring and can, can reach some of that potential that we talked about to defend you though. Let's, let's look at this. Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Marvin Harrison, both played in high, high level high school competition. Julian Fleming was like in like the fourth or fifth division in Pennsylvania, not yeah. even close to what these other guys faced on a weekly basis in high school and his offense that they ran like a T wing offense. So his curve to try to catch up with where these other guys were when they stepped on campus is very different. Um, But this will be a make or break year for Julian Fleming. This is his third year on campus and it's either now or never type of thing, in my opinion. So if he could be one that hits that transfer portal, because he's getting passed by by not only his peers, but maybe even some of these freshmen who played high-level high school who come on campus and instantly are like, all right, there's your next JSN. There's your next uh, Marvin Harrison. There's your next, uh, you know, you name it, Garrett Wilson. These guys need touches as freshmen. All right, moving on to tight end. Uh, Mitch Rossi gets a fifth or sixth year in college. He's going to be like 24 or 25 years old. So he's your starting tight end, guys. And he also plays freaking fullback. Yes. So Mitch Rossi, he's your first string. I got G. Scott Jr., the redshirt sophomore, third year on campus. I think (laughs) he can be a weapon at tight end. Uh, We didn't see him a whole lot. He would come in late in games. Um, he caught a couple passes. Same thing with Joe Royer, who's also going to be, I believe, a redshirt sophomore this year. Uh, both those guys, I've got 
Rossi one, Scott two, Royer third. However, don't sleep on the true freshman Bennett Christian. They say that he is impressive. So he might be one of those guys, kind of like Jeremy Ruckert, his freshman year, uh, cracks that uh, starting lineup by the end of the season. But uh, to go over it again, Rossi first, G. Scott Jr. second string, Joe Royer third string to start off spring. Chris, do you agree? Well, I agree with Rossi out of the gate. Uh, you know what? I, I I also think that Scott probably is going to get that two slot. I like Bennett Christian. I like him to get in there maybe. Uh, I, I really like his blocking, so you, maybe you'll see him in more on running versus Gee Scott. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I, I think you've probably got it right, but that three spot, I wouldn't be surprised to see the true freshman slide up there. Aaron, go for it. So can I ask you, how do you think they're going to use Mitch Rossi? Like what you just for blocking purposes? For uh, blocking like, and when you don't expect it, all of a sudden they're going to they're going to give him one near the goal line. That's yeah. how they did it this past year. Okay, because that's, that's kind of – I think yeah. G. Scott, when they're in the 12-man formation, they got two tight ends in. I think G. Scott's the receiving tight end. Okay. Yeah, I mean, in in that situation, then, yeah, I, I got to agree with you. Because, um, I mean, when Mitch Rossi did get the ball, the dude scored. He did, he did well, I, I feel like. So, yeah, I, I can't really argue this. But to go along with what Chris said with Bennett Christian, I am getting those Jeremy Ruckert vibes – from him. So I, I agree with what both of you said actually regarding Bennett Christian. I wouldn't be surprised if he cracks that lineup, uh, even possibly by the time the season starts, depending on how his fall camp goes. Okay. Now let's go to that offensive line, guys, because here's where the debate is. But there's one there there is definitely two, if not three, positions on this line that I think are locked in, and one is on at left tackle. Paris Johnson Jr. is going to be the starter this year as a true junior at left tackle. Now, what I have learned is that they have moved Enoch Vimahi to to be his backup. And he is, a, I believe, a redshirt sophomore or junior. I don't remember which. And then you got redshirt freshman Zinn Mikowski, who will be third string. Probably They'll probably throw Avery Henry in there as well as fourth string. But... Johnson Jr., I think, is a lock at left tackle. I think Enoch, they're going to prepare him to take that spot next year. So he'll be the backup at left tackle and Mikowski at third string. Aaron, do you agree? Yeah, hard to argue that one, man. Paris Johnson's about as locked in there as I feel like it gets. All right. Uh, What about you, Chris? Yep, I'm with you guys on this one. All right, here's where the debate starts to happen. I wrestled with this. Um. I've got some of the guys who follow this on the beat, some of the media people, saying that this is Matthew Jones' job this year. He has been around. He's been a backup. And when he was in the games at left guard, they ran the football better. That's what I've been told. Now, I I guess I haven't paid enough attention to the offensive line close enough to see that or not, but apparently that is true. But Harry Miller – was there before he got injured, if you recall, back before they went to go move him to center. So is this a battle between Jones and Miller? Possibly. And if it is, I think it's Matthew Jones who's going to win out. 
So I have Matthew Jones as the number one at left guard. I'm going to put Jacob James as the number two, and and he is he is battling for playing time from what I've heard. He's very good. And then I'll go ahead and put Ben Chrisman, the uh, redshirt freshman there, as the third string. So Matthew Jones, one. Jacob James, two. Chrisman, third. Chris, do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Eric. I think, you know, definitely when Matthew Jones got in the game, I thought we'd run the ball a whole lot better. I, I really like that. In fact, I think he plugged in there when uh, when, when Thayer went down, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, I think we pointed that out on that show very the very following show is the running game got better at that point. I think this is definitely the way it washes out. Aaron, go for it. What's, what's the story with Harry Miller? I don't, is he alive? Yeah. Yeah. So apparently he was very sick. All year. I don't know if it was COVID related or not. I have no idea. Let me tell you that can hang with you forever. It really can. Understand that stuff. That stuff can keep you down for quite a while. That's fair. So I don't know if it was that. I don't know if there was some other things going on that we don't know about. <clears throat> but I, I mean, I guess he had an injury, and I guess he also was very, very ill. Um, okay. So I, I Harry was the weak link when he was on that starting lineup back in twenty twenty. I guess it was right. Yeah. 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 No, twenty twenty one. So. Uh, no, yeah, you're right. 2020. 2020. Yeah. So he, he was kind of that weak link. I, he had a lot of false starts, as you recall. Yeah. He got burnt sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't the greatest. I'm not going to lie. And it, and I can't even make an argument for improvement because he wasn't there all right. of last season. So I can't sit here and say that he's better. So on that end of things, I, I can't disagree with what you put. Matthew Jones has been versatile. And he has performed when he's been uh, whenever he's been asked. So I, I I agree with this. Yeah. Let's go to center. Uh, I'm going to stay with Luke Whipler. I know Harry Miller probably will have an opportunity to snap the ball again this year. If he doesn't battle with Jones at left guard, then they'll probably let him battle Luke Whipler as the starting center. But I thought for the most part, Luke Whipler did a pretty good. And I don't want to mess with chemistry because your quarterback and C.J. Stroud in that center, that that chemistry has got to be important. And those two played an entire season together. So why would you mess with that now? I wouldn't. I'm going to leave Luke Whipler as my starting center. I would say Harry Miller's probably your second string here. And then third string, I put Toby Wilson, who was the freshman walk-on. It's Kevin Wilson's son. Uh, dude got in and played as a freaking walk-on a lot. So I'm going to say as a, as a sophomore, he's your third-string center. Luke Whipler starter, Harry Miller second-string, Toby Wilson third-string. Aaron, agree or disagree? Agreed. And I, I can't agree more with, with your reasoning. You don't mess with that chemistry. They got a whole season behind them. Uh, you, you don't mess with that uh, unless Harry Miller comes in and does something spectacular during spring and, and fall and summer camp. Uh, I, I don't think you mess with that. You don't change it. Uh, Chris, what do you got? You're 100 percent on on this one, Eric. Yeah, Whipler Whipler earned that playing time, so he's going to get the first crack. All right. Here we go with another possible argument. But so far, you guys are agreeing with me at right guard. I'm going with the sophomore five star from Texas, Donovan Jackson. We didn't see a ton from him last year, but I think they, they plug and play with this guy this year. 
At second string, I'm going to go with the true freshman from Wisconsin, Carson Hensman. Um, I just think he's kind of like Donovan Jackson. Donovan Jackson was second string guard as a true freshman. I think Carson Hensman's that guy this year. Although one might argue with me that you put Tegra Shabola in there, but I think Tegra is going to be a, a tackle. So I'll go Carson Hensman. And then I'll put Trey LaRue here. But again, Trey might be at tackle. I'm not sure. But I think when he did get in the game, the few times he got in this year, I think he was at guard. So I'm going to go Jackson first string, Hensman second string, Trey LaRue third string, Chris. Yeah, I can't disagree with you, Eric. I, uh, I think that's spot on. Aaron Brown, what you got? I I feel like this spot's going to be kind of wide open. Uh, well, I guess not wide open, but I think that it does come down between Donovan Jackson and Carson Hensman. And I think that the experience factor probably weighs in a little bit here towards Jackson's favor, but we'll see how fast Hensman picks up because we all like those offensive linemen at Wisconsin, they've, they have a reputation, you yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. the fact that he's even here is something, um, I also have I think, been told don't count out Jacob James here possibly too. Yeah, yeah, that's another possibility. He could switch sides and get some playing time on the on the right side of the of the line. So that's that's totally possible. A little triple threat in the spring between these three guys. So um, I can't disagree with what you're saying, but I can't put it any other way than it's just between those three. All right, he came back for his senior year at first string right tackle is Big Dewan Jones. I mean that's. That's guaranteed. Second string, Josh Fryer. I think he, uh, redshirt freshman, I think he's ready to uh, possibly get ready to become a starting right tackle in 2023. And then the freshman, I put Tegra Shibola here, but this could be Grant Tutant possibly. Um, but I'm going to go with the true freshman and Tegra Shibola's third string. So Jones, first string, Fryer, second string, Shibola, third string, Aaron. Yeah, I got nothing to go against that with. Um, hard to argue. So, yeah, Jones for sure. Fryer, I honestly think Fryer or even Tutant could be second. Um, I think Shibola probably needs a year of, of development, even though he's he's pretty darn good. But, I, I again, the experience factor. Chris? Yeah, I'm actually with you, Eric. I, uh, I think it rolls out just how you've got it on paper here. All right. <clears throat> Starting lineup. Come opening day, if uh, all stays healthy, this is our prediction here. C.J. Stroud at quarterback, Trivion Henderson running back, Jackson Smith, the Jigba in the slot, Marvin Harrison outside, Egbuka on the other side, Mitch Rossi at tight end, Paris Johnson left tackle, Matthew Jones left guard, Luke Whipler center, Donovan Jackson at right guard, Dewan Jones at right tackle. Yes or no, Chris, this is a national championship offense. I'll tell you what, this would be my thing. If we get the play out of our offensive line, 100%. If they play up to potential, this is a national championship offense. Aaron, yes or no, national championship offense here? I'm not going to sit here and say that they win, but uh, if if they execute at the level with the little tweaks that the coaches are going to throw in there to make it better – I can't deny it. It's I, I don't know of anybody else that's going to hang with this team. Yes. All right. Hang tight, everybody. When we come back from commercial break, we got a whole other part of the show we got to get into, including National Signing Day, which is just basically a whimper at this point because of the early National Signing Day. 
and what in the cat hair is happening in Ann Arbor. So hang tight. The OHIO podcast is brought to you by Mastermind. Mastermind specializes in 360-degree high-definition mobile video mapping, GIS integration, and traffic safety studies. Mastermind cares about traffic safety and keeping you safe on the roadway. Visit Mastermind at OnlineMastermind.com. And welcome back to the OHIO podcast, everybody. All right, so this past Wednesday was National Signing Day. And what's funny about saying that is the early National Signing Day is when basically most of your recruiting class is going to get made. So that being said, there were three guys this week that went ahead and, well, two that signed their national intent. The other one actually that committed after the early National Signing Period silently committed. And so we it was made public, I guess, a little bit uh, on, on Wednesday, I guess you could say. But the big name here that went ahead and committed and then signed was Omari Abor. You also had the offensive ta- uh, guard that we were just talking about, Carson Hensman. He signed. And then uh, the third guy was uh, Hero Canoe, the defensive uh, lineman from California, via George uh, from Germany via California, I should say. Those were the three guys added to this class. First question, those three added to this class. Your initial responses, guys, how you feel about that, and then your overall feeling of the class, Chris. Uh, for me, I really like it. I think it's a very good class that we've got coming in. Uh, you know, as we've discussed in the past, I think uh, Hero Canoe is going to be a bit of a project, maybe a year or two off yet. Uh, you know, just because he doesn't have that experience playing at this level, obviously. Um, and he has limited high school experience. But I, I've got to ask, how in the world did a four-star lineman, offensive lineman, get out of the state of Wisconsin. You know, that, that I think was, <laughs> I think that was huge for us. Yeah. Not just the fact that we landed this guy, but the fact that Wisconsin didn't. Yeah. Uh, and then I think, you know, Abor obviously has that potential to, to be another one of these guys in that long line of just impressive defensive ends that we've had. Uh, you know, probably not going to see a ton of time this year, given the talent we've got there right now. But you know what? I think, you know, he may see some some cleanup duty uh, this year and, and definitely be impactful for next year. So, Aaron, your initial feelings of this class and the three new guys added. I like the class overall. I mean, is it the greatest one we've ever had? Like to me that I've seen, no, but it's it's probably top five without a question. Um, I like a lot of the talent that we got, uh, especially some of these transfers like uh, Tanner McAllister. I mean, I feel like I should throw those in there along with the other guys that'll be freshmen because they're just as important. Um, but as far as the signing day guys, I feel like this is great added depth. Uh, Like Chris said, some of them are projects. Uh, You know, maybe they're a year or two off. Uh, Carson Hensman, uh, as we just discussed uh, before the break, uh, he's he has potential to potentially start. He could be battling uh, Donovan Jackson for that spot on the offensive line. And it is impressive that we were we managed to pull him from Wisconsin. That that is really something. 
Um, so I think that speaks to the volume of recruiting that the coaches can do and have gotten done, obviously. Uh, so I'm excited to see what these guys do in the future. Um, yeah, I'm with you guys. Um, I like the class. I feel the class is um, very level, I guess is the best way to describe it as far as like um, defense to offense. It's not a it's not a heavy lean one way or the other like we saw with some of the previous classes uh, with all those five star receivers and and quarterbacks, you know, and an offensive lineman. And then the defense was kind of like, yeah, we got a guy. This one, you know, your top guys are defense and Hicks and Styles. Um, before you get to Devin Brown, the quarterback, and um, the uh, the off the wide receiver Caleb Brown, you got two highly ranked defensive linemen in Kenyatta Jackson and Omari Abor. And I'll be serious with you guys, like I know Kenyatta Jackson is ranked higher. I'm more excited about Omari Abor. Just watching film, um, seeing how he plays, the the tenacity he plays with, the level of competition he plays against. I think Omari Abor is going to come in is going to be more ready than Kenyatta Jackson is. To me, Kenyatta Jackson feels a lot like um, uh, Harrison to me. Just big name, but what you going to do for me? You know what I mean? Where Omari Abor is, is he's done it. You know, he's already done it. He's going to do it. Um, I'm not calling him uh, the next Predator because I don't think he has the same body type that Chase Young did. But I think Omari Abor's got a higher ceiling. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 You know, I think I think you could see him be, especially, like I said, I think he may see the field a little bit this year, primarily in cleanup. But he could be that guy who was like Tyreek Williams this year and comes in and yeah. maximizes that fun. time that he's on the field. Uh, looking at linebacker, I know C.J. Hicks is the five-star top ten national recruit and everything, but I'm telling you right now, I'm more excited about Gabe Powers. Yeah. Yeah. Just Eric, you and I looked at, at both films, and we both were more impressed with Gabe Powers. Yeah. I, I He's just – he's a bigger, more – I mean, C.J. Hicks can be explosive, but I just look at Gabe Powers, and to me, I just see – I see the the traditional Ohio State linebacker, the AJ Hawk, the Bobby Carpenter, um, the Laren Laurenitis linebacker in him. That's what I see. Yeah, I, I I I like with Hicks. I saw the athleticism. You know what I mean? He is aggressive. He can play. But with Powers, I saw a polished linebacker. <clears throat> he <clears throat> played the position like a linebacker. C.J. Hicks was kind of like floating around being an athlete and then making plays is how it felt yeah but he did it really well so he got the higher rating i feel like yep a uh, real quick quick question here for you chris your favorite guy in this class that you're excited to see on the field oh wow uh, that's, yeah, that's a tough one sorry <laughs> that is tough yeah you know i think for me it's going to be if he does get on the field whether it's even on special teams I'm excited about Sonny Styles. I <laughs> yeah. mean, this guy, you know, he who knows where the guy is going to line up. Uh, right. You know, he's just got that kind of that kind of talent, that kind of size, that kind of athleticism. We don't know where he's going to line up, what he's going to do, but you know what? I get the feeling whatever it is, it's going to be awesome. 
it's going to be hard to keep off the field, I feel like. And given the change in defensive staffs here, the loyalty's kind of thrown out the window. It's what have you it's done for me lately? It's a clean slate for everybody. Yep, yep. Aaron, yep. same question. Which, which guy in this class are you excited to see play, man? Am I including the transfers? Absolutely go for it. Tanner McAllister, without a question. I want to <laughs> see what difference he makes as an on-field coach, if that makes sense. I want to yeah. see – I know he can play. He's done it. He's done it well. He is well-developed. Um, Jim Knowles said he was ready for the NFL and he was surprised that he didn't go to the NFL. He's excited to have him, uh, on the team and assisting the staff. This is, it, it makes the transition, the changes to the defense so much easier, potentially, I should say. Um, but I'm excited to see him play number one and number two, how well does the defense adjust to what they're doing? That's new. Yeah. Give me a freshman. Well, I'm going to make I'm going to make you give me a freshman. A freshman? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I dislike you for that. But uh, <laughs> it's there's so many, but they're yeah. they're like I don't think any of them really. Well, the the obvious answer is Devin Brown, right? I mean, well, in the, the future, I mean, in the yeah, future, I mean, yes. Well, but we're going to be waiting a year this, or two to this see spring, that. The, the spring game is going to be all about is going to be all about Devin Brown, right? Like, is, is he going to take that mantle and run with it? And the dude is, the dude is super confident. Well, him, I think it's going to be a lot about him and Sonny Styles because Sonny Styles has such a following and because of who his dad was and his brother plays at Notre Dame. I think that those two people are going to carry the heaviest storylines in the spring game. But I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm like Chris. I, I feel like I'm more excited to see what Stun- Sonny Styles does. What are they? Where are they going to put him? Are they going to put him at free safety because we're lacking that depth right now? How does he play? You know what I mean? That's what I'm kind of. I'm excited about that. Wouldn't, so, wouldn't it not be great to see him pop? his big brother in that Notre Dame game. I <laughs> dude, <laughs> I would love that every second of it. And you know who would be sitting in the stands laughing? His dad, his dad. <laughs> oh yeah. I've seen this before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. I got a name for you guys. You didn't mention. He's my boy. He's the one I've kind of circled. I'm said, okay, I think this kid can get the, get on the field quickly. And I think he can make a big impact and he's a lot better than his ranking. Caden Curry. Yeah. That's that's I my guy. That. That's my guy, Caden Curry. I think he he's one to keep your eye on. He was I think his 123 nationally national ranking, although extremely good, and would be the best on many of the Big Ten teams uh that we're gonna play against as far as their recruiting uh, goes. But uh I think Caden Curry is much better than that. His his film tells me this kid's ready for college football. Um, looking at it as far as the Big Ten goes, guys, Ohio State finished fourth nationally with 21 commi- uh, uh, commits. Um, second in the Big Ten is Penn State. They finished sixth nationally. They also had 25 guys that they ended up getting committed to them. Michigan finished ninth. Those are your top three schools in the Big Ten, all in the top ten. They had 22 commitments. And then finishing fourth, this is surprising to me, Indiana. Indiana came in 21st nationally. Michigan State came in 23rd nationally. They were fifth in the Big Ten. So all five of those teams are in the east. Your first west team to come in was Iowa at sixth. 
And uh, most of that is due to the safety from the state of Iowa who decided uh, to stay home. <clears throat> Nwankba? I th- no. Uh, Xavier, I think. Xavier Nwankba, I believe his yeah. name was. <clears throat> he decided to stay home with Iowa. That that boosted them uh, all the way up to six because he was a five-star. Maryland comes in at seventh with a very, very strong recruiting class. Rutgers is at eight. So if you're keeping track, this is an argument for getting rid of divisions. S- the seven teams from the east are in the top eight in the Big Ten in recruiting. Meaning if the Wankbo wouldn't have gone to Iowa – this thing would have finished top seven all from the East. That's how yeah. sad it is in recruiting in the West. Purdue comes in ninth, uh, ranked 37th nationally. Nebraska gets a, a, a strong finish. They end up uh, 41st nationally, 10th in the Big Ten. Wisconsin, boy, they were they were hoping that they were going to get that offensive lineman that decided to be a Buckeye. They finish 11th in the Big Ten, 45th nationally. Old Brett Bielema over there has got him. Uh, got Illinois at 12th uh, in the Big Ten, 46 nationally. Rowing the boat didn't have a very good year there. 13th in the Big Ten, 48th nationally for Minnesota. And then uh, Patty Fitz bringing up the rear here, 14th for Northwestern in the Big Ten, 50th nationally. What surprises you guys about these rankings? To me, the biggest surprise to me is Indiana at fourth. Chris, what about you? Yeah, I would say that that's a, a big surprise there. Uh, you know, Michigan was what ninth nationally, third in the Big Ten. Yes, that's, that's a great recruiting class, but who the hell is going to coach them? Uh, <laughs> We're going to get in that yeah, in a minute. <laughs> but I mean, no, I, I mean, I think Indiana definitely a surprise, and I agree with you. Uh, seven of the top eight coming out of the East. That doesn't overly surprise me just because of the fact that, you know, these are the teams that have had the most, these are the teams that have nationally had the most success. Uh, you know, the Penn States, the Ohio States, the the, the team up north. Uh, you know, Indiana, they had a good year a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, they uh, had some inconsistencies. They were close a lot last year. They just couldn't quite get over the hump. Uh, you know, so, yeah, I, I think they're surprised how high they were. Also, Wisconsin, how low they were. I think that was a bit of a surprise for me. But yeah. uh, Well, Wisconsin traditionally, in all honesty, is not a big-time Well, they're not a great record. They're a development school. school. Them in Iowa both. Like, they almost always finish in the middle of the pack in the Big Ten, and by the time it's all said and done, those guys are fourth- and fifth-year seniors that – are just good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but for me, yeah, the four and the, and the was it 12th for India, uh, no, Wisconsin. Uh, 11th. 11th. I think those are the two biggest surprise for me. Aaron, anything about this list that jumps out at to you, man? Uh, Wisconsin being that low, uh, which I know we, you know, they're, they're traditionally not like a recruiting powerhouse, um, but still, it's just to see that, I guess, a little weird. Uh, Rutgers being at eighth. But if you look at their class for the year, second year in a row, they just completely raided the transfer portal. So Greg Schiano is doing a nice job doing that, by the way, because I think Rutgers, even though it wasn't a great year, they did much better than they have in previous years as far as their performance goes. 
uh, by doing that. And Greg Schiano knows what he's doing, and he's taking complete advantage of it. Um, Indiana, I'm not really – it's a little bit of a surprise to see them at fourth, but not really. Um, I don't know what their problem was last season because the year before they were just – they were a th- yeah, I think okay. The, I think the injury bug got them. They just didn't have the depth to hang tight. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. I just, you know, I don't really pay attention to much of anything that in depth outside of Ohio State. Well, so Phoenix I, I wasn't know. the same. No, yeah, no, he's gone. He already transferred. Yeah, he's yeah. gone. But um, I'm not surprised to see them at fourth just because they have been pretty decent in recent years. So uh, I don't think one off year was going to kill them. Um, but this certainly will help. I feel like I've been to e- I, I've been to Bloomington, Indiana. I don't know why anybody in their right mind would want to go there. I'm just saying. That's how I feel. When we went on that trip, I saw nothing to do. There was. I've been there multiple times. There's there, Bloomington, Indiana is a joke. Um, Worse than Nebraska? I don't can know. I, be I feel like there's probably more stuff so. to do in Lincoln. Like I've not, more to I, Lincoln? I've not been to Lincoln yet. It's on my it's on my uh, it's on my list. But I'll say t- I'll tell you this. Lincoln can't be that much worse than Iowa City. And mm. Iowa City's better than Bloomington. Mm. OK. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. something. I'm just saying. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, guys, get ready. The East is a gauntlet until they change those rules, which it sounds like they're wanting to do soon. Um, Ohio State's going to continue to have. Week in and week out, tough football games, man. All right, let's 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 talk about it. We've got to. I've I've tried to get a hold of Sean. Hopefully, we can get him here in a few weeks to come on the podcast. What in the world is happening in Ann Arbor, Aaron? I I, <laughs> I don't listen. even know. Like, listen, I know we've got about 10, 12 minutes to address this, so I don't want to beat this in the ground because this really is going to have to be at some point this summer its own show, and it will be when we get Sean on. But what is happening up there, man? Like, I, it is an absolute soap opera. Well, that, I mean, it's it, for me, it's par for the course, okay? The sleepovers, the cleats in the house, the, the whatever, okay, the weirdness, the, the booger eating, everything about Jim Harbaugh is just so just space cadet weird, okay? The dude is freaking out there. I, I can't explain why you would make that decision. He sent his whole coaching staff on a two-week vacation, said, hey, guys, go ahead and take a couple weeks, and then on signing day of all days – you go and in, an in, in interview for an NFL job. Like, I mean, are you just you trying to bury yourself, Jim? I, I don't understand that. You know what I mean? I, I just I don't get it. Like National Signing Day is a huge day if you are a college football coach, much less the head coach that has major implications on the future of your program. And you're over there doing something that sends the message to these recruits saying, hey, I may not be there. And then on top of it, today, <laughs> he loses Josh Gaddis. So he has no D coordinator, and now he has no offensive coordinator. Uh, Josh Gaddis decided to take the job as, as offensive coordinator at Miami, Florida, down there with Mario Cristobal. So McDonald went back to Baltimore, I think, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he did. So, I mean, what? why would you do that? Your team has no coordinators, and then you're sending out this message to all these recruits that you may or may not be there because you're interviewing for an NFL coaching job. 
why would you make that decision, guys? Just tell me that much. Uh, can what? I? Well, before you answer, Chris, can I give my two cents? Yeah. Real quick, please. shoot for it. I think he thought he had the job in the bag, and when he interviewed, he interviewed so bad that Minnesota was like, uh, "We're not doing this." Like Dude. his his weirdness in the interview came out, and they're like, "We are not gonna. This isn't gonna work." Yeah. Well, think about it. This is the same guy that once said to a reporter that he doesn't want his guys eating chicken because it's a nervous bird. Yeah. <laughs> what if, the if, hell? If worms had about? machine guns, birds wouldn't would be afraid of them or something stupid like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you what is he talking about? Like, there's eccentric <laughs> and there's crazy and it's a fine line. But I feel like he's definitely on the crazy side of that line. Chris, go for it, man. What's happening in Ann Arbor? Okay, first of all, Aaron, you touched on Harbaugh sending his guys on a couple uh, two-week vacation. He didn't just send them on vacation. He sent them on vacation and said, do what is best for you. Yeah, you're right. He is telling them, I am going to be trying to leave this place. Get the hell out. And then to Eric's point, the only reason you come back after that is because you bombed the interview and they didn't want you. That's the only reason he's back there. He just screwed the pooch on that one. That's no other way to put it. You know, McDonald, Gaddis, they were smart enough to cash in on the success they had this season, move on to better positions with somebody who's not a complete fruitcake. Then on top of all that, this is a team... That is, yes, they had a, a good recruiting class, but they have got to replace two of the best, you know, pass rushers in the nation from last year. They have to replace what was a, a very entertaining, energizing, spectacular running back. They got several key pieces they lost. Harbaugh's gone off the deep end for about the third time this week, and you've lost all your coordinators. How long do you think it's going to take these guys to start jumping in the portal before the spring game even ends for them? There will, there will definitely be some transfer movement. But here, here, here's – what do you think about this? Do you think Gaddis thought he was going to get an opportunity to interview as the head coach? And then when Jim calls back and says, I'm coming back, he's thinking, no, I'm done. Oh, there was absolutely something to that, Eric. But, yeah, these guys, they had great success. As coordinators, they capitalized on that success, knowing, let's face it, they know that they got their decade win last year. They know that. It's not going to happen, at least for the next three or four years. Minimum. See, and, I, he's not helping the players as far no. as that's concerned. And, and attempting to win back-to-back, that's, that's the truth of the matter here. And, I mean, I don't want to get into this too, depth and too in depth because there's a lot of political stuff that's happening behind the scenes guys that is is not good with this this program and that school and there's a lot of um relationships between uh you know jim harbaugh and the athletic director i think where jim harbaugh is like you know i think he thinks he's playing chess with the the athletic department and trying to get back at them and do different things like that and it's just destroying (laughs) It's destroying the what what good they maybe did have last season. It's I it's almost like he's just throwing it out the window. Well, like, the uh, athletic director. Oh, 
everything is setting up for him in 2022 to have another good year. Like they only play a couple good teams all year. He could win 10 games almost blindfolded. But yet it's almost like he is sabotaging this team. Yeah, he's taking this thing like Hugh Jackson, man. He is. He's making a mess of what should have been, like you said, Eric, a 10-win season. And I honestly don't know with what is going on with the changes in the coaching. We'll have to see what happens with the players that are coming back. But we know the ones that are gone. This should have been a 10-win season. I don't know if they'll get six. See, I my thing is, is I think that over and above everything else, he's now lost the trust of his assistant coaches because this almost – I'm not going to say he tried to pull a fast one because I'm with you, Eric. I think there's a lot of political behind-the-scenes stuff going on that it, – it, 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 the, the end result is the sabotaging of the team, and if you think the players don't see that, they do. There's no way they don't. I mean if we're sitting – hundreds and and then even for me thousands of miles away from the situation and we're like yeah there's there's some behind the scenes stuff going on here that's not good those players in the locker room definitely see it and that's going to cost Jim Harbaugh their trust as well and Chris is right i think there's going to be some names in that transfer portal i'm kind of surprised they haven't hit it yet because with all this being and it could just be because it's so fresh and new but at this point in time, and we discussed this a little bit before the show, who are they going to get to fill those roles? It's going to have to come from within, from guys that are not proven. Yeah, Mike Hart, you know, we all know who Mike Hart is as Ohio State fans, Mr. 0-4. Uh, he didn't get his first win over Ohio State in any capacity till last year, and I'm not sure that had as much to do with him. I, I, in fact, I, don't, I think it had little to do with him, so I don't think he can get the job done. Um, but that's kind of where they're at. They're not going to poach any coaches from other big programs. They're not going to pull any Alabama assistants uh, at this point in time. I'd be surprised if they did, but it's going to take a hefty amount of money. Um, and I think Jim Harbaugh is going to have to repair that trust for anybody of relevance to really show up now. I, I think right. he's destroyed it. Real quick, in closing, guys, I got another I got another podcast here in, enough, in four minutes. What does Jim Harbaugh say to this team when he returns next week and he has that meeting with the players? What does that – what's that look like, Chris? And be, and be honest. I, I don't do know. Think, do you think it's I don't know. It has to be. I don't know if there's anything you can say to him. You literally went out and you basically said, screw you to everybody in that locker room. And as for his little game of chess that you mentioned – you shouldn't be playing chess when you haven't mastered checkers. Okay. This guy is a joke. He is destroying this program. And I don't know that it can recover. Despite the season they had last year. I don't know. It can recover from what Harbaugh just did. I would, you know, we've been saying it for years. I don't think, I think after this last incident, this last year, I don't know if he can come back for another season after this one, I really don't. Aaron, what's he, what, what would he have to do as a head coach to win this team back? Well, I mean, there's a reason that they all decided to go to that school. Okay. I think he walks into the locker room. He inserts his booger hook into his nose <laughs> and says, 
Mmm, boogers. <laughs> don't eat chicken. That's what I think he says. Oh, Lord. He, he's got to apologize. I don't he's know if that fixes it, dude. I don't think it does. I don't, I don't know that he can. For some guys, it might work, but I, I think that he's probably – I don't want to say he's lost his locker room, but, I mean, time will tell. What's interesting is the fan base right now. If you go and you read the pulse of the Michigan fan base, it is split down the middle. And and why someone would still root for Jim Harbaugh at this point is beyond me. If if Ryan Day did something like this, I would want him fired immediately. Well, you, can't you know what? Them. Give him give him credit. They are rooting for the name on the front of the uniform and not the name on the back. Bullcrap. I truly I truly have to believe that. I. No. That's what it's. That's the only explanation I can give for why people love, are still trying to. If to you love support the name him. on the front of the jersey, you want that guy out. Well, yeah, I mean anybody with common sense, yes. But I think they're trying to hold on to those ones that are supporting him are just holding on to anything they can at this moment. Those are the same people who brag about the national championships that their great 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 grandparents celebrate. You're absolutely right. I'm not saying you're wrong, Eric. I'm just giving you. <laughs> a, a, a just delusional logic of what they are hanging on to. There it because is. that's delusional all they've got. Logic. That's it. You got it. <laughs> uh, good that, good discourse there, Chris. I loved it, man. Uh, Aaron, Chris, you guys have great weeks. When we come back in a week, um, it'll be Aaron and Chris's show. I'm going to be somewhere on a beach in Florida. I've got to go down to Florida for work, so I will not be on our next episode, that'll be Chris and Aaron's puppy. I'll try to have an interview on the backside of that. But um, we will come back at you in a week, uh, and hopefully Michigan, we will have more to talk about with that. Um, these guys will have a great time. As always, be kind to one another. I owe someone's OH and sing Carmen, Ohio, with all your heart. Until next time, OH! I owe! Go Bucks. Oh, come, let's sing Ohio's praise and songs through armor while our hearts rebounding thrill. And joy which death alone can still. Summer's heat or winter's cold. The seasons pass, the years will roll. Time and change will surely show how firm thy friendship. Oh, how